Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope everyone's doing good today. Everyone having a good morning? Everyone good? All right, very good, very good. Hey, we're going to start a new series today, and it's a series that we're calling Canceled. And if you have been watching the news at any point, why would you do that? I know. But if you're watching the news at any point, you would probably hear this phrase a lot, cancel culture. And, and, and it's kind of prevalent. It's going around. It's really a, a new phrase to an old issue, but but that's, that's what it is. And when we talk about cancel culture, one of the things I I would always say to that is there are really like there are good aspects to it. The idea of cancel culture is that sometimes there are people that need to be held accountable for things that they have said or done in the past that generally was never they were never held accountable for. Like there are good sides of that, but also with things that are good, there's also bad sides of those things. And so I was thinking about it today, and really over the last week we were talking about what this looks like. Any, you remember the story of ORU in March? ORU was in the March Madness, the brackets and all those things, and they beat Ohio State. And like, it was this crazy time where like, no one thought it could happen, but they were doing really, really, really good. And they were getting all this national recognition. And then a journalist started kind of diving into what ORU was and starting to read about their, their theology and the things that ORU's believe for all the years that they've been around. And they started writing articles about how they should be canceled, how they should be, how they should uh, just be, they should cease to exist. They shouldn't have anything to do because of the beliefs that they have. And, and that's, that's the bad side of it. Because I, I tell students this all the time, you're not going to go to McDonald's and ask for a Whopper, right? Like, if you're going to a church, if you're going to go into a Christian organization, you have to understand that there's long-held biblical beliefs that we've had for centuries, and so those things don't change. Like, and if you're a Christian in this room, one of the things that you should know is that the beliefs that you have, if you follow the Bible, it is always going to run contrary to the culture around you, right? It's always going to run contrary to the things that you might think or believe, because honestly, the Bible's more true than you and I could ever be. And so we have to believe those things. The Bible tells us that the cross is foolishness to the perishing world around us, that people are just not going to understand what you believe. People are just not going to understand why you believe the things that you believe. And so cancel culture is this idea of taking things that people believe, or, or at least in this context, taking things that people believe and trying to minimize those things because they go against the culture. And today, I'm going to be honest, we're not going to talk about cancel culture. We're not going to talk about, like, we're not going to get up here, and I'm not going to talk about who we should cancel. We're not, we're not going to do that. What I want to talk about, and over the next couple of weeks, what I think we should talk about is the idea of what needs to be canceled in your life. What are the things in your life that you know need to be canceled? What are those mindsets that you continually struggle with? What are those thoughts that you're continually going and struggling with, what are those things that you can use in your life that can be canceled out of your life? What do you need to get rid of? What are those things that don't glorify God that need to be canceled in your life? And this season of life that Cassie and I are in, after all the kind of the the stuff that's went on in our life, one of the things that we have really tried to do unapologetically is look at our calendars and look at the things around us in life and say, hey, we need to stop doing some of these things. Like there, like there, there could be, a, in a week's time, there could be something going on every single night, like much like your own life. And we decide, hey, we're going to prioritize the things that actually matter for our lives, the thing that actually helps us grow together and that helps us grow together as a church. 
And that's what we want to do as ourselves. And I want to tell you, some of you guys, you might feel that way as well. You might sit there and look at your calendar and say, hey, I need to minimize some things. I need to get rid of some things. And there are always going to be people that are going to cheerlead you on that, say, yeah, you should do that, you should do that. And they're going to clap and they're going to be excited for you to do that until it starts to affect them. And so here's the warning for you. When you do that, just know that you're going to come against opposition on that as well. But it's still right to do. Amen? And so let's talk about the things in our own life that we need to cancel, those mindsets, those thoughts, those habits that we need to cancel in our own life. And I'm just going to be honest. I'm coming after your toast today. This, is gonna, this ain't going to be fun. And it wasn't fun for me when I started writing. So it's not going to be easy, but we need to talk about a couple of things. And so one of the things I do want to talk about, you guys have heard my car problems over and over and over. I'm not a mechanic, never been a mechanic, tried to be a mechanic, but it doesn't ever work, all right? They don't work like the toys used to work when I was a kid, and so I don't understand how cars work. Actually, the last time I tried to change a tire, I jacked the thing up, it was up there, and then it, it fell off the jack itself and hit the ground. Like, that's how, that's how bad of a mechanic I am. I'm not, I'm not good at it. And so we were looking, and I had an old car, and, and it, it just the engine finally, it just went out. And, and, and you know the car's bad whenever you go to your mechanic and the mechanic says, you should probably light the thing on fire and lay it down a hill. Like that's, that's what he, that was his expert opinion. And so we decided it's probably, probably time to buy a car at this point. And so Cassie and I, we started looking for a car. Now, I need you to know, I, I'm not like, I don't know a lot about cars. So when we go sit down in a dealership and we start talking to people, they're speaking a whole other language to me, all right? I don't get what they mean. They're trying to tell me all the cool features. I, I just need to know if it turns on, turns off. That's, what, that's, what, that's where I'm at. My wife, though, my wife, and I love her, and God bless her, and she is incredible. My wife believes that she knows everything about cars, and so she knows that she should be listening to. And so we sit down, and we start negotiating with the car. We start talking about what the car needs to have, and they're telling me all this stuff. They're telling me that, that the car can fly, okay, and I'll buy that. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'm down, okay. They're telling me everything they need to tell me for me to buy this car, whereas my wife is much more shrewd about it. She's watching it. She's hearing it. She's, she, she, will, she will get right in the middle of their stuff. She will call them out if they're lying. That's, that's my wife, and that's an awesome part of who of who she is. But we end up finding a car that we liked, and we end up buying the car. We go through the process, we buy the car, it's ours, and, and it's awesome. Now, here's the deal. My wife and I, we, we, she's had a car for years and years and years. And it's a, and it's a good car, but it's, it's her car. And so I buy this new car, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I bought a new car, my car went out. The natural progression of life would be that that new car would be my car. That new car would be mine. Like, I would take that car. This would be perfect. I didn't factor into my mind the fact that when I got that new car, it automatically had to be handed over to Cassie, and then I inherited the old car. I didn't realize that that was part of, part of the deal. I didn't know that we did that. I maybe, and you can call me naive, but maybe I was thinking that because, you know, my wife and I are married and she's the most incredible thing in the world to me, maybe, you know, the godly woman that she is that stands up here and leads us in worship that sings so beautifully and so powerfully, the woman who loves the Lord, who reads her Bible every night and does her devotionals every night, maybe that woman would look and understand that the Bible says that we lay down our lives for our spouse, that we look to helping other people, that we look to others' interests over our own. And so she wouldn't say that car's mine, but that I'll take the old car. That's what I would think she would do. What I didn't factor into my own life was my wife has a wicked, sinful heart. And so in, in her idea, she said, no, no, the new car is, is my car. Now, I need to put a little parentheses right here. We're fighting over a Honda CRV, all right? It's not an awesome car, all right? Don't, don't think it's, it, ain't, it ain't much. But I, I thought, okay, maybe this could be my car. Maybe Jesus would shine on her life and she would just let me have that. But in fact, that did not 
ever happen. I thought I deserved that car. I thought I was entitled to that car. I thought that was for me. And in fact, it has not been my car. In fact, she has, in some cases, hidden the keys from me. So I couldn't take the car itself. Today, I want to talk about one thing that we need to cancel in our life. The thing I think we need to cancel in our life, and it affects all of us, is this word right here. We need to cancel entitlement in our own life. We need to cancel entitlement in our own life. Let me give you a definition of entitlement. Entitlement is believing that your blessings in life are just rights given to you. Your entitlement is believing that the blessings in your life are just your rights. And here's the thing. The tough thing about entitlement is right now, right when some of you heard that word, you thought, all right, Matt, let's get them. Let's get them. It's time. Yeah, here we go. Let, 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 let's, let's, get, let's get the millennials right now. Let's get the Gen Z. They're so entitled. Let's get them. Let's, let, you, you, amen. I'm ready to go. Entitlement's always easier to see in everyone else, but it's always a blind eye when it comes to us, right? Because every single one of us in this room, I love you. Everyone say, I love you, Matt. Every one of us is entitled, and it's a sinful nature inside each and every one of us. It goes from a preschooler to a 50-year-old to a 64-year-old. It is entitled all the way through. Like I said, entitlement's easier to see in everyone else. And so I want to prove real fast that entitlement is part of our life because I want to make you happy today, right? I want to improve this. So we're going to do a short quiz and we're going to try it. This is not something that you can fail, but you probably will. Uh, this, is just a, this is just a version of the test. And so here, here we go. This is, you don't have to answer out loud. It's multiple choice. So at least you have, a, you have a chance. So here's the first question. See if you're entitled. You're working hard for a promotion and your coworker gets it instead. Your reaction is A, I'm overqualified. B, who did they suck up to? Or C, I quit. If you answer one of those honestly, you might be a little entitled, okay? Number two, number two. You have been single for a long time. I know I got teenagers in this room that feel like they've been single their whole life. You've been alive for like 10 years, okay? You've been single for a long time. Your reaction is A, I'm too intimidating. B, life isn't fair, or C, I just need a new church. I have heard that excuse over and over and over, by the way. I've heard that one before. Now, man, I love you, but this is going to be tough. Number three, you come into the sanctuary, you go to your seat, and you find out someone is sitting in your seat. Ooh. Your reaction is A, do they not know that God gave me that chair? That before the foundations of the world, he predestined that chair to me. B, who do they think they are? Or C, will God forgive me if I flip them off in the middle of the church? That's some of you. That's, that's some of you. That's, that's real. Jesus tells us a story about entitlement. And again, as much as I love you, entitlement's in every single one of your life as much as it's in every single part of my own life. Entitlement's all throughout all of us. And Jesus tells a story that addresses entitlement head on. And it's one that if we put our, we put ourselves in these workers' shoes, that we would feel the same way. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to read a parable that Jesus tells. Jesus told a lot of parables. Jesus told stories to talk about the kingdom. Jesus told stories to talk about his love. Jesus told stories to talk about God's favor and his grace to everybody. And this one is one of the most controversial ones, but it means so much to us here today if we get the right perspective. Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner 
who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some other people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So right up front, you already see one shift of workers. They're at the beginning. They started out. He sent them out to work. And then he goes about 9 o'clock and sees another group of people not working. He grabs them and says, hey, why don't you go to work for me? Two shifts already. Let's keep going. Verse 5, it says, so they went to work in the vineyard at noon. And again, at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. There's two more, all right? So there's four total. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one's hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. So he has these five groups of people that are working for him. Some started very, very early in the morning. Some only put in one hour that day. He says, bring them all in. The day's over. Bring them all in. Let's line them up, and I'm going to pay the last, the people who got here last, first. So right there, I want you to sit there and think about what that means for you. See, if I'm, if I'm the group that started the day off, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, he's paying them because as he gets to us, we're going to get more. Like, we, we work longer. We're going to get more money. Like, this is good for all of us. Let's keep going. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they'd receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. I love that word assumed right there, by the way. That, that's, that's a big part. They assumed they would be received more, but they too were paid the day's wage. Verse 11, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner, the one who hired them, the one who brought them in when they were doing nothing. Those people worked only for an hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid me. Do you not understand? I've been working all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, said, friend, have I been unfair to you? Did you not agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? I love this last line. Should you be jealous because I'm kind to other people? This parable flies in the face of how we would want to be treated, and it's a reminder of God's grace being distributed evenly to everybody who calls on his name. I want you to keep in your mind, here's what's happening. There's five groups of workers. One of them work really, really long. They get paid all the same wage. The ones who started the day off, they go to the owner and they say, what are you doing here? Like, we worked a lot harder. We worked a lot longer. We worked in the heat. Why do I get the same amount of pay that they get? And each and every one of us in this room would say yes and amen if we were that group of people. That's what we would say. And Jesus throws that in their face and says, no, see, God, he's the owner in this story. God is the owner. And you and I, we don't get to determine how we get paid. And we also don't get to determine who gets paid. So the grace given to the person in this room that grew up in church, that grew up in children's church, who's never done anything bad in their life and gave their life to Jesus, you needed the grace of Jesus. You needed it deeply. And it was given to you just as much as it was given to the person, the thief that was hanging on a cross next to Jesus said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. That grace is given freely evenly to those who call on the name of Jesus. Because honestly, if it was you and I, I can tell you who would not be getting grace. I can tell you who does not deserve favor in their life. I can tell you who I think 
doesn't need grace. But you know what? Someone else, if they had it, they would tell you, I don't need the grace either. Isn't it good that we have a God that's better than being fair, right? Isn't it good that we have a God that's better than looking at all the things that you've done and said, okay, you get that, you get that, you get that. But we have a God who distributes his grace freely to those who would say, Jesus, I need you. That, that's, that's the grace. And this story flies right into the face of entitlement. The Bible actually tells us in Romans chapter 3 that the wages of sin is death. Death, Gehenna, hell. It's what this is. So what he's telling us and what the Bible tells us, and I love you, 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 but you need to know that you deserve nothing but hell. And that's not fun, and that's not easy, and that's not great, but what you deserve, every single person in here, from the person who thinks that they're morally upright to the person who knows that they're not, we all deserve hell. Everyone. Let's make it a little more personal. Your kids do. Some of you would say amen to that, but no, okay, don't. Your mother-in-law does. No, I won't even go there either. <laughs> there are people in your life, the people that you love. As much as we think we're awesome and, and, and great and, and mama patted you on the head and said how great you are, you need to understand the Bible tells us that the wages of sin, the wages, what you and I done, the mistakes, the things that we pushed against God, the offensiveness that we've given to God means that we deserve hell. But the gift of God, Oh, man. The gift of God isn't that you have a good life here today. The gift of God isn't that you have these great, awesome singing abilities or preaching abilities. Actually, Jesus said, you should be happy that your name is written in a book of life. The gift of God is eternal life for those that believe. The wages of sin is death. You and I deserve hell. And so everything beyond that is a blessing. And those blessings are not your rights. Those are favors given to you by God. And that's what entitlement robs from us, is that we look at our blessings in life and think, oh, I deserve that. I deserve that. I'm owed that. That's for me, but it's, it's not. It's not at all. So entitlement needs to be canceled in our lives because, number one, it robs our relationships. It robs our relationships. Entitled people see relationships around them as a way to fulfill the needs that they have. I, if I could ask any single person in this room to do one thing in their life, don't marry an entitled person. Don't marry a person who is only looking to you to get what they need out of you. Because that's going to destroy your relationship. And I've been in so many premarital counseling, so many counseling sessions with couples that I'm sitting there thinking, there's so much, there's so many expectations that are so unreal here that you're going to destroy each other. Maybe you have that friend, that, in, that, that friend who is texting you, and when they text you, if you don't reply in like five seconds, they're angry at you for that, right? Because all of your time needs to be focused on them and what they need at that moment. That's entitlement. Maybe you're that friend. Don't be that friend. Maybe you're that friend. Entitled people, they take the relationships that are closest to them, and if you do something wrong or you do something they don't like, they start to punish you. They start to make you feel guilty. Amen? You guys know those people? They start to, they start to push you away. They start to punish you for things that really, it's, it's not on you. They just have an entitlement issue inside of them. And again, I want to always go to this because it's not just teenagers. It's easy to pinpoint it there. I worked with teenagers for 10 years. It's not just teenagers. Oh Lord, if we can talk about their parents sometimes. First service parents, not you guys, obviously. Entitlement's in all of us and it'll rob your relationships. Number two, it's going to rob your gratitude. It's impossible for you to say, I love my life and then say, this world owes me something. It's impossible. You can't, 
You can't mirror those things together. You can't merge those things together. You can't be in gra- you can't be grateful and entitled at the same time. And do you know, by the way, do you know, like, uh, just if you walk around and you're a negative-filled person, that you're constantly talking bad about somebody, if you're constantly thinking bad thoughts, that sometimes that's not really self-pity. That's not really that feeling of worthlessness. Actually, it's a really big feeling of pride in your own life. That, hey, I know better than everyone else. I know more than everyone else. They should esteem me more. They should take care of me more. That's actually more pride. It's saying that God's blessing around me, I don't need that right now. I need this right now. The book of Romans 1 says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor they gave thanks to him. But in the process, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. I would just say that if you're, if you're a negative person, and I can really get really close to this party, if you're a negative person, maybe you need to look at your heart because the Bible just says that our hearts are darkened. And the context of this scripture, he's talking about sinners, but the context of this scripture reminds me a lot of churches around us. Churches here, people here, that we can get so negative that we don't glorify God. We don't give thanks to him. In fact, we get angry sometimes. Why is the air conditioning the way it is here today, right? We can get angry. Why is Pastor Brent not feeding me enough, even though that's really not Pastor Brent's job. It's your job because we're self-feeders, right? That we're not consumeristic Christians, that we're people who want to come into a church and give away everything we have, right? Okay. In this context... This scripture, he is. He's talking about the unsaved, but let's not let that be us. Our entitlement's robbing our gratitude and it's robbing our thoughts. I promise you this. I believe most of us, most of the issues in our life are not circumstantial issues, they're perspective issues. That if we can get the right perspective on what we're going through, that God will change the circumstances then for us. And then number three, uh, entitlement robs our intimacy with God. Verse 11, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only an hour, and yet you paid them as much as you paid up. We worked all day in the scorching heat. Everything in the world right now is on demand, right? Everything on, is all on demand. Any streaming service, you can watch whatever you want at any point that you want. You have a phone in your pocket that can show you anything that you want to see at any point in your life. But so many times, we treat God the same way. That he needs to be on demand. That he needs to be waiting for me hand and foot. That he needs to be watching out for me. That he needs to be, he needs to be right there whenever I need him. He needs to fix this right now when I need him. And no matter what's going on in my marriage, he needs to fix it right now. No matter what's going on in my finances, he needs to fix it right now. And what happens when he doesn't right then? If you know the history of Christianity, Christianity is a very long process, right? Sometimes the, the blessing from your obedience takes a long time to get there. But we want it now that we live in this world that's broken and bad things happen to us and then we get mad at God. God, why would you let this happen to me? God, why would you allow this to happen to my life? And we forget that Jesus told us over and over, in this world you'll be of trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world around you. That there's brokenness in this world, that this world that we're living in right now, it's not going to be whole. It's not going to be beautiful. I love whenever people post their pictures of, of beautiful sunrises and sunsets because they are beautiful and that's a gift from God. But do you understand that that sunrise and that sunset is broken still? That that's not the fulfillment of the beauty that it's going to be when we get to heaven one day? That it's going to be way more than that? That everything around us is broken. And so when you experience temptation, when you experience trials, when the Bible says that we will suffer those are true statements, just as true as John 3.16 is. And so we have to understand that. And so we can't let trials rob us of our intimacy with God and pull us from that. That's when our entitlement comes in. God, you owe me this. God, you owe me. I've prayed every single day. 
God, I've served all the time. Why are you letting this happen? It robs us of our, entire, of our intimacy with God. Are you guys still with me? So let's talk about canceling out some entitlement in our life and how we do that. So, so number one, here's how I'd say it, and I, I just always want to keep this at the forefront. We've got to move from the, the temporal to the eternal. We've got to move from the temporary to the eternal things in life. I love Hebrews chapter 11. It says it like this. Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. A short time. How long did Moses live? Like 900 years, right? I mean, it's a short time, though, for him. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Life is never going to be fair on this side of eternity. And there are always going to be mysteries that are beyond our comprehension, mysteries that you'll never understand, mysteries that I'll never be able to sit you in my office and give you the answer why this thing happened to you because you and I, we don't live on this. We don't create this world. We don't create this timeline. We don't know what's going on around us. God works on a way bigger canvas than you and I work on. He sees more than we could ever understand. He sees more than we could ever see. And so because of that, we won't know the mysteries of God here on this earth because we were never known to. But the Bible tells us to lean not on our own understanding, but trust in him. So many of us, I think we're trying to understand, understand, understand. We're trying to get, why are we going through this thing? And we miss the fact that God's just bringing you through that thing. Let's relate it. I always want to ask this question. Well, the thing that's upsetting me, the thing that's bothering me with the view of eternity in mind, will that really matter in 200 years? Will that really matter in 500 years? You understand that we are eternal beings, that we will go on forever. So that thing that that person said to you six months ago, does that thing matter in 200 years? Does the thing that someone did to you 10 years ago, will that matter in 400 years? Will the thing that you did that you feel so ashamed of, will that matter in 500 years? Because again, we are here for a short time, a mist, a vapor. Will it matter into eternity? Will it matter as we go on? Number two, this one's easier said than done, but it's be thankful. Be thankful. I have homework for you guys this week. You guys already hate me for that. I have homework for you guys this week. I'm going to ask you, pull out your phone, and every day, every single day, just this week, I want you to text somebody, not your spouse, it could be your spouse, but whoever you want to, I want you to text somebody and just say, hey man, I'm really thankful for you. I don't know who that is. It could be a boss. It could be a coworker. It could be a brother. Text someone every single day and remind them why you're thankful for them. Remind them why you're happy about them. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, it says like this, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I, I would just, in this moment, I've sat with so many people and they're like, I don't know what God wants to do in my life. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know what God wants me to do. And right here, really easily, the Bible tells you, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You want to know God's will for your life? It's being thankful. You want to know God's will for your life? It's always looking at the situation and saying, God, I know it could be worse. Thank you for what you've put me into. God, I know where I'm at right now, but God, help me get through this. I thank you that you're already going to do it. And I love it, it says right here, it says, in everything, 
give thanks in everything. That's good times and bad times. That's really lean times and really fat times. It's in those times where you don't know what's going on. It's whenever it feels dark in front of you and when it feels really, really bright in front of you. In everything, give thanks to God. Here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say in everything, give thanks. It doesn't say for everything. He's not telling you that you should thank God for everything around you. You thank him in everything because God is in everything that you're going through. Not for everything. I'm not going to thank God for all the things that have happened in my life. I'm not going to thank him for all the broken parts of my life. I'm not going to thank him for those things. I'm going to thank him that he was there in the middle of it all. I don't know what your life has looked like. I don't know how broken your life has been. But I remember Cass and I sitting in a hospital room and in the middle of the worst moments of our life and feeling the presence of Jesus right there, feeling the presence of God right there, that passes the peace that passes all understanding. I give thanks to God because he's in my situations. And that's a perspective change that we have to get. He's there and he's in it. Let's keep going. You guys still with me? Number three, he says, bring your requests to God. Last thing I want you to do is bring your requests to God. I think most of the time, anger and entitlement comes from just this basic lack of trust that God's really going to take care of you. And so we feel entitled because in our own life, what we think is, well, if he doesn't care about this, then I've got to take care of it. And then when it falls apart, well, God, what are you doing here? I wouldn't do this if you would have taken care of it. But entitlement, a lot of times, is just a basic lack of trust that God's going to take care of you. So if he doesn't care, I've got to work it out. If he doesn't care, I've got to fix it. If he doesn't care, I've got to get the answers to it. First Peter chapter 5 says like this, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. That he loves you. That he cares about you. Your entitlement will come to an end in your life when you realize that all the things in your life around you, God's going to take care of. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Does that mean that I don't have any responsibility, that I can't go and do the things that I'm supposed to do? No. It just means that God's going to take care of you, that God loves you. And I believe with all of my heart, as I was thinking about this moment, as I was thinking about this time with you, that somebody in the room needs to hear today, not that God cares about all of us, because we know that. God cares about his church. God cares about the churches in Sand Springs and all around the world. God cares about us, but God cares about, right here, right here, right here. He cares about you. Not you and your wife course he cares about that. You, you who have that broken heart, you who are going through all that tough stuff, you who went through all these broken places, you who are embarrassed by the things that have happened in your life, you that feel so sinful and depraved that when I walk into those doors and I come into worship and I'm singing those songs, I don't even want to speak to him. I don't even want to look up at him because I'm scared that he's angry at me. God loves you. And today you need to hear that God loves you, that he cares for you. Now he's not caring about these, these human social constructs that we've made. It doesn't matter about that. God cares about you today. He cares about where you're at. The Bible tells us that he knows every hair on your head, that the Bible tells us that he knows every tear that you've ever, ever cried. Why does he know those things? Because he cares about you, not your neighbor. He cares about them. He cares about you. If you can internalize that for one moment, that everything that you've walked through, every pain that you've been through, that he was there and he cares about it. He cares for you. And so your entitlement will end when you sit there and say, God, I can't keep doing this anymore. I have to give it to you because I know you're going to take care of it. That's when entitlement can end in your life. Oh, he cares for you. Church, Hill Spring Church, you need to hear today. He cares for you. Oh, his eye is always on the sparrow. 
how much more over you? Oh, we clothes the lilies of the valley, but how much more worth are you? Oh, he knit you in his womb. He put you together. Before the foundations of the earth, the Bible tells us that he knew you and he loves you. By the way, you know what that means? That means that before you have that past that you have, that past that you feel like is disqualifying you from God, no, he knew that past and he still loved you. Before the foundation of the earth, before you could have ever done anything, he loves you. He cares for you. He says, cast your cares on him. There's nothing too small. Cast your cares on him. Here's one thing I always think about. Should I care about this thing as much as God cares about it? Because if God isn't going to care about it, maybe I shouldn't care about it. Maybe it doesn't really matter all that much. He says, throw your cares to him as he cares for you. He'll spring. I love you. And God cares for you. And so let's cast our entitlement away. You're not entitled to this church. I'm entitled to the lights in here. These are blessings given to us by God. I'm entitled to the car that you drive. I'm not entitled. I'm not entitled. Hey, hey, hey. I wasn't entitled to the baby that I lost. You know why? She was God's. I'm not entitled to these things. They're blessings given to us by God. So today, we need you to hear this. You're not entitled to an eternity in heaven either. Not at all. In fact, if I could make an argument, there is one thing you are entitled to, and it's that place that we talked about earlier called hell. But the good grace of Jesus that says to the person who worked the most and the person who worked the least, the grace is still given to you. That grace I want to offer to you today. With everyone said about and everyone's eyes closed, in this room, I want to give you the opportunity. If you don't know who Jesus is, I want to give you the opportunity to give your life to him today. I'm just going to tell you, there's no better time than now. There's no better time than now. If you're a teenager in the room saying, hey, I'll do it when I graduate high school. I'll do it when I get into college. I'll do it when I get there. There's no time better than now. You know why? Because the Bible tells us you're not promised tomorrow at all. You don't have tomorrow. It could end today. I'm not trying to scare you into something. I'm just trying to tell you the truth of the fact that God wants your heart here today, that you're not here by accident, that he brought you here for a reason. The Bible tells us that Jesus, he came to the earth on a mission to save that which is lost, you and I, that there were moments that there's nobody in this room that's perfect. Even me up here with a microphone, I'm not perfect by any stretch. I need Jesus just as much as you do. The Bible tells us he came to the earth and he died a sinner's death for you and I. That if we would just believe in him, believe that he died on a cross and he was raised from the dead, and if we would confess to him our sins, and if we would say to him, you're the Lord of my life, if we believe those things and we confess to him, that we can be saved. That we can move from death to life, from hell to heaven. That our eternity isn't locked up in a place we don't want to go to, but it's up there with Jesus. All across this room, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, doesn't mean that you have to clean your life up, doesn't mean that you have to stop all these things. It just really means today that you're coming to him and saying, I need you. He'll fix all those things later, but I need you here today. Don't give in to the cultural idea that you have to be clean in front of Jesus. No, he makes you clean. So if you want to give your life to Jesus, here's, here's how we do it. It's simple for us. We just you just pray a prayer. You can pray it out loud. Pray it in your mind. Really, even not the words of the prayer. It's the posture of the heart. So here's the prayer. Father God, I pray today 
that you'd forgive me of my sins, all of the bad things that I've done, all the mistakes that I've done. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you were raised from, I believe you were raised from the dead. And today, Jesus, I ask that you would be the Lord of my life, that you would have all of my heart, that you would have all of my will, that you would have all of my emotions. With that confession, Jesus, I believe you're saved. You've saved me today. It's in your name I pray. Everyone's head bowed and eyes closed. Just give me for this moment. If you pray that prayer for the first time, or at least you prayed it and you meant it this time, you could have been baptized years ago. It doesn't mean anything unless you meant this in your heart. If that's you, I don't want, no one's looking around, it's just me. If that's you, will you slip up a hand? Will you slip up a hand? Is there anyone in the room? Let's see that hand. in the room. God, I thank you for what you're doing here today. God, I thank you for your call to salvation. God, I thank you for the fact that we move from death to life. Lord, you're an incredible God. So much more than we could ever deserve. God, we love you, and God, we thank you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.